Well, I suppose I can think of no more relevant topic in our world today than this one, a deeply divided and polarized world. But more than that, our world feels so angry, so mean. The notion of a civilized conversation between two people who disagree, it just feels impossible. But my, oh my, we would be so painfully naive to think the skill of having a difficult conversation is valuable only in the political landscape. I'm working with this wonderful Quaker school in Philadelphia, Germantown Friends, and we're talking about engaging in an initiative to infuse leadership at all levels of the institution. And we talk about what we mean by the word and the core attributes that underpin the concept of leadership. And I am increasingly convinced that building this muscle, having difficult conversations, should be foundational to the education of our kids. Could you imagine just how different our world would be? But maybe I should hold on to these aspirations and move on to a more manageable arena, like the workplace. I was introduced to my guest's book about 10 years ago. I was mediating without a license, a toxic board chair and a CEO who was under attack. I felt ill-equipped and reached out to my friend and brilliant mediator, Ken Cloak. I am now certified and my guest's book is required reading. I can tell you that once you read this book, you will find its lessons valuable in every nook and cranny of your life. A big, con- a big promise I am more than comfortable making. So I know people multitask during podcasts. My team refers that, to this as having our listeners divided attention. But this one, you're going to want to lean in. Greetings and welcome to my podcast, Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary. In my work, I offer counsel and advice to CEOs and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a keynote speaker, an author of a best-selling book with a very novel name, Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership, and I'm a columnist for the Chronicle of Philanthropy. I'm also the co-founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, an online membership site where we help small nonprofits thrive. But most of all, I consider myself a compassionate truth teller and a champion for board and staff leaders. In my podcast, I dig deep into the issues faced by nonprofit leaders. You can always count on getting my personal point of view, and you can count on experts who will share their expertise in fields ranging from fundraising to leadership transitions, to team building, to board management, to organizational strategy, to self-care. The list goes on. So welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Let's get started. Sheila Heen has been a lecturer at on law at Harvard Law School since 1995. She spent the last 20 years with the Harvard Negotiation Project, developing negotiating theory and practice. Heen specializes in particularly difficult negotiations where emotions run high and relationships become strained. She is the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most. That's what we'll be talking about today. She's also got another book we'll talk about in part two called Thanks for the Feedback. Stay tuned. Heen also teaches in the executive ed programs at the Program on Negotiation. She teaches advanced negotiation workshops for the Harvard Negotiation Institute and also teaches in executive ed and MBA leadership programs at Dartmouth Tuck School of Business and Washington University's Olin School of Management. I do wish you were getting people at a younger age. Heen is a founder and a CEO of Triad Consulting, a corporate ed and consulting firm based in Cambridge, serving clients in both corporate and public sector on six continents. She is a graduate of Occidental College, which I know to be the alma mater of a certain president we just had in Los Angeles, and a graduate of Harvard Law. She is schooled in negotiation daily by her three children. Yeah, we know that story. Uh, Sheila Heen, I'm so excited you're here. I am delighted to be here. So 
It's that dreaded moment in which you have to tell someone something they don't want to hear, something that is important for them to know. I'm thinking about grown children whose, you know, partners you don't like. Um, there's so many places we could go. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, actually, I think you should actually write another book called How to Keep Your Big Mouth Shut. I would buy that one. Indeed. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you're, you're ready to have this conversation. You know it's going to be hard. You're so worried about getting it right. Um, I actually can still break out in a cold sweat thinking about getting ready to come out to my parents in my 20s. But um, as Sheila's bio says, navigating and mediating relationships between and among kids have really put her research and advice to the test. So let's get to the core philosophy and then dig a little bit deeper. Um, Sheila, talk to us a little bit about what makes a conversation difficult and then what you mean when you say that every difficult conversation is actually three conversations. Yeah. Well, so um, I love the dilemma that you were describing, which is um, how do I finally bring something up that I anticipate is not going to go well? I have right. something to say, et cetera. I've been holding it in. Um and then on the other side, how do I keep my mouth shut? <laughs> because I tried sharing it and it didn't help. Uh, right. It blew up in my face, which it actually, in, in the case of coming out to my parents, um, oh, time, yeah. time heals all wounds and it ended up all being great. Um, but it went really poorly. Yeah. And I think that's the dilemma that many of us experience, which is, gosh, I've hesitated to bring this up. It, it feels difficult. It's keeping me up at night. I try to let it go. They do that annoying thing again, or I can't quite get around what's true that we're not talking about. That's the elephant in the room. Right. Or I don't feel known in some way that's really important to me. Bingo. Or I don't feel yeah, treated yeah. the way that I want to be treated in this relationship, whether that's a personal relationship or a work relationship. Yep. Um, and so we're, we're trying to figure out what are the magic words right? That yeah. will mean that I can control the outcome, not jeopardize the relationship and get what I want. And if yeah, I had written yeah. that book, if I'd written that book, we would all be more wealthy today. I was but, just going to say, because <laughs> if you can control the outcome, yeah. right, then, then this is, this is just a, a, a toe in the water towards success for you, Sheila. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think that's, what we fantasize about, that there must be some magic words or there's some way to make sure that the other person responds well um, or agrees with us or understands just how right we are. And, and I think that's where we can get ourselves in trouble. So do the, so, so, do, so do the three conversations. And if you yeah. would like to use, if you would like to continue to have me break out in a cold sweat and use my coming out, that's totally fine. If you'd awesome. like to pick something else, but I think that's a pretty, <laughs> that's a good, that's, no, that's Olympic level. actually. Yeah. <laughs> so I, think, I think that's a good one. Um, so, so I think that part of the dilemma has to do with wrestling with people's internal voices. So to really understand difficult conversations, you have to look beyond what people say to each other to what people are really thinking and feeling. And when we started to look at people's internal voices, as we call it, we suddenly saw that there were very predictable things that we're wrestling with, that our internal voices, mine and yours, if we're in a conversation together, are preoccupied with. And you can bucket those into three buckets. So we call these the three conversations because they're 
conversations we're having with ourselves as well as with the other person. So the first is sort of the obvious one, which is what we call the what happened conversation. In other words, we each have a story about what has happened in our history together around this issue, what is happening now as we're trying to talk about it, and what should happen in the future if, you know, you're listening to me. Yep. Um, And that story actually itself has three key pieces embedded in it. So we like threes, apparently. Um, (laughs) Embedded in... Three children, too, don't you? uh, Three children, three stories three conversations. So, so our story about what happened, the, the most important pieces um, are, I'm preoccupied with what I'm pretty sure I'm right about that you don't get. Um, I'm often thinking about whose fault is it that we're in this situation, that this is going so badly, that I don't feel I can bring this up or that you are reacting so badly, et cetera. Yeah. And then we also tend to have a story about why people are acting the way they are. What are their intentions or motivations or even character? So we, when you say we, so if I'm the person sharing, engaging in a difficult conversation, I have a story, I have a story about what I think you think, or uh, I'm sorry. Both. Yeah, both, both, right? Okay. So, so in other words, in the example that we're using, you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, I'm. I'm pretty sure that I'm right about who I am and who I'm attracted to and who I need to be in the world. And I'm pretty sure I'm right that my parents should accept that and understand it. It's actually the difficult conversation, if I may, as I continue to break out in a cold sweat, is (laughs) is not that I'm pretty sure I'm right. I'm totally right. The the issue is that I believe it's morally okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is that I, I think that I have every right. My parents are very Catholic. I have every right to a key to heaven, assuming I believe in such a thing as they do as a result of this. Absolutely. So it's a, it's a moral piece of information I'm communicating that I believe that I'm right about. It's not, are you gay or are you not gay? That's actually not the what conversation. The what conversation is I'm gay and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that this is not a mistake, this is not a sin, this is not... This is not it, a sin, right. This is not condemnable in yeah. any way. So I'm it's sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to make sure that that wanted to frame my story in so, my head. So I love that because what's really interesting is that the, the particular things that we're preoccupied with that we're really sure we're right about that we feel like are at stake differ person to person. Yeah. And by the way, your parents are probably pretty sure they're right about a few things also. Oh my gosh, yes. And and sometimes that's directly in contradiction to what we're sure we're right about. Sometimes it's actually orthogonal to that. In other words, your parents might say, I actually disagree and I think it is a sin and that's what we're taught and um, this is really upsetting. Right. This is what it, what, it's what triggers the negative reaction is. Yeah. Well, there's actually several things that trigger it, but keep talking about your threes. Yeah. But, uh, other parents might say, is not whether or not um, this is a sin, it's you're going to have such a hard life and that's hard for us to contemplate. Or this means that we may never be grandparents, like whatever they thought at the uh-huh. time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you're talking past each other. So the most common pattern is actually we're each preoccupied with what we're right about. And we're not talking about the same thing. Ah, uh-huh. okay. So, so go back to you. I mean, you've spent year. You've really spent your career thinking about yeah. this and and learning about it 
with research, a real research. So um, let me get out of your way and and tease the tease the the construct out. Yeah. So. In addition, your parents will have views about whose fault this is. You know, are you not trying hard enough? Are you not understanding what's true, et cetera? Um, it, so that's the what happened conversation and intentions. Like, who are you and what what's motivating you to pursue this, maybe? Or to hurt us in this way or to disappoint us or upset us in this way. I don't know what your particular parents' um, story was, but... I've seen flavors of that in, in my friends and family. As you go to the other two conversations, I will reveal more. Oh, fantastic. I can't wait. This is suspense. So underneath all of that, that's kind of what we're talking about, sometimes directly and sometimes indirectly. The other two layers beneath that are what we call the feelings conversation, which is even at work, by the time something becomes a difficult conversation, chances are at least one, if not both parties or all parties, <laughs> when we're talking about a board situation, right? Yeah. Um, have strong feelings and reactions. And we're often dealing with really two problems. One is the surface issue that we need to decide or talk about. And then beneath that is a second issue, which is how I feel treated. Whether or not you listen to me, whether you're taking me seriously, whether or not you are working to understand what I'm trying to say or not. And you always do this. Right. <laughs> so that right. so we've got a whole bunch of feelings already before the conversation starts. So that's the second one. So the, the, so the first one is what? What happened? Yep. The second one is what are all feelings. The, the feelings conversation? What, yep. what do I feel about what this thing is? Yeah. And then the last, the deepest layer is what we call the identity conversation. What does this suggest, situation suggest about me? Am I who I think I am? Am I and often am I a good person? Am I lovable? Um, am I competent? For your for parents, um, I imagine it's also, did we do something wrong? Bingo. But were you there? I mean, it was a long <laughs> time ago, Sheila. You didn't notice me, but yeah, I was yeah, in the background. Yeah, I, yeah that back behind the, <laughs> behind the refrigerator, I think. Yeah, exactly. But no, so we got, um, how could you do this to me? Yeah. Right. And then, and then lots, I mean, I've heard so many coming out stories as I yeah. do rights leader. Right. And then it is, what did I do wrong? Yeah. Right. Right. So that's, that's the identity. And what so is blame this in- ends up often touching identity, right? Blame. This must be my yes. fault that yep. you are turned out this way or are going to face so many challenges or whatever it would be. Right, 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 right. So, um, so I'm sweating, but so let's go to, let's go to a workplace example just real quickly. Yeah. And then we'll go on to the, to the, to the next component of your, um, of your learning, which is the third story. <laughs> um, so let's say that you're the executive director of a nonprofit and you and your board chair have to tell a board member who is also a big donor that he needs to step down because he made an inappropriate comment to a female staff member. Mm-hmm. So part, let's actually talk about, let's do it backwards, actually. Let's talk about identity first. Okay. Because the telling your chair, who's also a big donor, that they've done something inappropriate or sexist or questionable, such that it is a firing offense, more yep. or less, to let go offense, um, is definitely going to put identity on the table, totally. whether they're a good person 
you know, who they are in the world, whether they're respected, et cetera, whether they really screwed this up. Yep. And it also probably has identity implications for you. Uh-huh. So right? I'm, the, I'm the executive director and I had to actually say that my staff member registered this complaint. What's the identity piece for me, Sheila? Well, I may ask that back to you. I can imagine a number of them. One might be, um, I feel like I'm on the spot and I have to stick up for this staff member. But yes, my so, right, is, is, is a, a sense of loyalty, right? This yes. is right, a sense a of loyalty and leadership responsibility. I feel a ton of responsibility that's actually, in fact, got to be greater than my fear of telling this guy he's got to go. Right. So then depending on my relationship with the chair, yep. I, if we have a really good relationship, I also may feel like I'm hurting somebody that I actually care about. Yep. Or I'm going to be the person who puts the future of this organization in jeopardy because our biggest donor is walking out the door and is going to badmouth us, right? Right. We've so, already, right. Presuming that that's actually what happens. And, and all of those fears, which is if I don't handle this perfectly, then disaster will ensue. Yep. Put a ton of pressure on us to feel like we're competent and good people um, and worthy of respect or love, right? Ourselves. So that's the identity piece. So that's the identity, that's the identity piece. piece. So of course, we've got anxiety and discomfort and fear and every, everything else going on in terms of feelings. And then the trap that we can fall into is to think, okay, I need to persuade him that I'm right, that he did do this, that it was serious enough that this is a, we can't have you continue to be involved offense. And that's a judgment call, right? Of yes. course. Um, and that this is the right thing to have happen. In other words, that he should agree with our decision and that is going to get us in trouble because the more we push to get him to agree that we're right about it, the less open we are and the more likely we are to get into a fight. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Because you're actually, um, and, and maybe this is a good segue to the third story, right? Mm-hmm, it is. is. Is that I'm trying to persuade him that this was wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's my truth, but it's not necessarily. It could be his truth if I'm if I'm, yeah, I'm lucky. It could be. We if the person know. is very self aware, but let's assume for argument's sake, because most situations this is not true. That's not my truth. That's not what happened, actually, Joan. What happened? You know what? Mary really blew this out of proportion. She totally misunderstood me. She misunderstood what I said. I was trying to make her more comfortable. I had good intentions. Right, exactly. And so I'm trying to push him to accept my truth. He's got a different truth. And the more I push him, right, that's when a conversation, that's, I'm actually pointing a conversation into the direction of difficult. I'm almost saying he's not being truthful, right? Yeah. And and I think that the use of the word truth in contexts like this is well-intentioned, right? Yeah. Because it's saying, like, you need to speak what is true for you, what you perceived, how you interpreted it, et cetera. That's really important. And it's trying to underscore that. The dilemma is that it can actually get us in trouble because truth feels like such a black and white word, even though in fact, in life, 
very little that is most important is black and white. Right. And so I think we're better off as the leader to say, listen, here's my understanding of what happened. Here's, I have to make a judgment call about some really hard decisions. It's possible that it was misinterpreted, et cetera. And at the end of the day, I think that actually doesn't matter. Right. And as a result, I'm in a tough spot and I need to ask you to step down from the role that you're in. You are such an important person in this community. And so, of course, I'm, I'm interested in your reaction and um, thoughts about it. Um, and th- it's probably the decision that I need to make. Right. So, do the, so the, we don't so, have to debate whether I'm right or not. No, it's right. It's I'm not, responsible. I, I think that um, I, I, I spoke at a, a public interest law class one time and I went into the classroom and I wrote the words, you are right on the board. And then I wrote, drew a circle around it and a line through it. Like lawyers always, sorry, I know you're a lawyer, but lawyers always believe that right matters. <laughs> it's actually I love that you're apologizing for me being a lawyer. If I, yes, yes. <laughs> it's just interesting to me that, that lawyers rely on what's right. Yeah. But anyway, so, so go, so tell me about the three stories. So one of the ways to start this conversation is from inside our own story. Let me explain to you what actually happened and why I'm right and this is what's going to happen. Um, in that story, the role that we're casting them in is as the problem or the villain. Yep. Right? And we're the rescuer for the victim. And oddly enough, that's not a play that they particularly want to be in. <laughs> right? They're thinking like, oh, I'm so miscast in this play. I am not interested in, in uh, being on this stage with you, playing this role. And so starting only from inside our own story makes sense to us, but is more likely to trigger a reaction. Okay. Now you think, well, what do I do instead? You could start from within their story and say, hey, I imagine from your perspective, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, some of your listeners are so empathetic they are with other people that the challenge they have is not how to listen better and listen well and understand others. The challenge they have is they forget to share where they're coming from. Yes. Right. They're great listeners. Everybody comes to talk to them about their perspective and the person walks away feeling very sympathetic and empathetic and then realizes, well, wait, I never told them that we actually also have a problem. <laughs> um, right. And so when, when I work with both students, graduate students and um, executives in for-profits and non-profits all over the world, one, some of them really need to work on speaking up and sharing their view, while others really need to work on being more open and listening to others. That's very interesting. Yes, because we do know that executive directors have a, they lean towards pleasing personalities. Exactly. They are, they have decided to do the work they do because they want to take care of people, issues, the world. Yes. And so you tend to often come into these conversations worrying about how the person is going to receive the information and feel. And you can actually, as a result, potentially, that, that can actually be a, that can actually be a problem. It can be a problem. And it means that for people in mission-driven organizations, identity is particularly vulnerable, right? right? Because you're, as a leader, it pays to be beloved. 
<laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> right? By donors, by your stakeholders, by the people you serve, um, by the partners in the field in which you're trying to make a difference, right, on that landscape. Yep. Um, and by your staff, because they're probably being paid less than they would elsewhere because they also care and you're in it together. So let's come back to the third story, by the way. Yes, please. Um, the the third story is a way to open a conversation that says, look, my perspective is important here. Your perspective is also important. And this is the purpose of the conversation that we're going to have. So it's as if a neutral observer, like a mediator is describing what we need to talk about. So in this, in the situation that we're talking about, it might be, um, listen, I want to sit down and talk about what happened, uh, between you and Mary and some hard decisions that I think we have to make and I have to make as a result. Um, and you may or may not agree with those decisions and that's okay, but I do want to be really clear with you what my understanding is and, and the decision that we're making. And then I'm, I'm interested and happy to hear about your thoughts and also whether there are options going forward that mean that you can continue to be part of the community in some role. Um, what's your thought about that? So I'm, so our, my purpose is not to show that I'm right. It's not even necessarily to just deliver a message and get out as fast as possible. Right. Um, like a hit and run. Um, it's instead to actually share important information, indicate whether it's negotiable or not, and then to be willing to listen. And if appropriate, and if they're willing, think together about what this may or may not mean. So in the case in the case of this example, the third story isn't the story of isn't Barry's story. Mm-mm. No, it's it's what is the third? What exactly is that third story there, Sheila? It's the way that a mediator or someone who's neutral watching the situation might describe what's going on. Which and is it, look, we've it, got two people here in a tough situation. And it's and it's the third story is a way. If I'm if I'm if I read your book carefully enough, it's a way of honoring. It, it, there's there's some way to actually honor both parties, isn't there? Yeah. The role that you're giving them is we're in a conversation together. We're each going to share our perspective on it. We're partners in that. And sometimes one of us has a responsibility to make a decision and sometimes they don't. So the the kind of conversation we're talking about right now is what we would call a bad news conversation, uh-huh. meaning a decision has been made. And... Yeah. Um, I have to share that decision. That's part of my responsibility. And then we can talk about it and you can share your reactions to it or the impact or think about whether to go forward in some way or not. That interestingly, the coming out conversation is also what your parents would call a bad news conversation. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. Other conversations. And I would say probably most of the conversations that we have in our lives, it's not so much a bad news conversation. It's a problem solving conversation. Correct. Right. So the dishes example is the one we use in the book because it's so clear and so common for all of us. You know, let's talk about how you don't seem to be able to clean up after yourself and and leave dishes all over the place. That's my story. My spouse or my, you know, roommate might say, that's not where we need the thing that we need to talk about is why you're so anal um, and, you know, obsessed with this and overreacting. A third story would be, hey, can we talk a little bit about how we, handle the dishes because I think we have really different preferences. Yep. Um, and it's certainly having a bad impact on me. I imagine it's annoying to you. Um, and let's talk about how we might handle that better. 
So the key word in the third story tends to be difference. I see. Okay. So we're not, the third story um, is not necessarily about what you, what each party has and what the common thread is that both of you care about necessarily. Is that true? It's, it might be saying, I think that it's saying the purpose of our conversation is to understand why we see this differently and figure out what to do about that in a problem solving conversation. So it might be a difference in views, a difference in preferences, a difference in expectations about the future. We have a different strategy for fundraising, for instance. And I think we have different approaches that, and we have different predictions about how these approaches will play out. So let's talk about that. Um, Love this. So we are talking with Sheila Heen. She is the author of a book called Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most. We are having a lovely conversation, not at all difficult. Other than Um, the sweating involved. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I want to, um, uh, as a, you know, this is something that you've studied and studied. And this book is the result of a lot of work with your co-author, Douglas Stone. And You've done a lot of negotiation and a lot of work with clients all around the world, both in the corporate and the public sector. There's all, I, I am imagining that the people on the treadmill listening to this podcast have like a gazillion questions. So I want to do a little bit of a lightning round on them. But Great. before I do, it would be just feel just so wrong for me not to raise this particular difficult conversation because it is one that um, I could use some help with. And I bet everybody listening could. So when I work in my office in Spring Lake, I can stare right across the street and I can see an American flag on a flagpole and a Donald Trump flag on a flagpole. And I um, found myself going to a um, block party where I think Mm -hmm. I may be one of the few people that wouldn't think about putting a Donald Trump sign on my lawn, but I don't know. But I would like to have a conversation with someone who is my neighbor. I'm not exactly sure how to contend with the strong feelings that I have and the strong feelings that he has and how to actually, I can't persuade him. I think we do a lot of that. And that's what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I think you have a somewhat um, analogous um, uh, story about your own life, don't you, Sheila? I do. I do. And I think that partly um, the divisiveness in politics these days is such that it paints our views as so black and white. And so part, part of the question maybe I would have for you with your neighbor is, what is the purpose of the conversation for you? Because I agree with you, each of you is probably not going to change the other's mind, right? I mean, it's possible you could each have a 15-minute conversation with each other and, and reverse. <laughs> you can just borrow their sign and you can loan them some of yours. And in fact, you both persuaded each other. But chances are that's not going to happen. So one question I would be thinking about is, gosh, if, I, if my purpose is that I want to have a warmer relationship with my neighbors to not feel inhibited about asking for help or offering it or, yep. you know, and, or to feel more comfortable as I sit and try to work and look out the window. Well, then I'm not, it, it could be that politics is not the topic for us to discuss. It might be actually something that is more human and common for each of yeah. us 
Because until we can see each other as more complex human beings who care a lot about this country. Yes. And may have different judgment calls, different data about and priorities for what's most important and different judgment calls about what is needed or what would help or what, what the world should look like. Um, I think that that's a sort of, that's the Olympic level conversation. And if we don't see each other as sort of complex human beings with personal histories that help shape what we care the most about and worry the most about, it's hard, it's harder to have that conversation. So I decided, well, first of all, I, I don't have a horse, I'm, I'm leaning towards a horse in the race currently, but about three months ago, I, my, my kids were like beside themselves that I hadn't put a, what well, we hadn't put up a sign. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and there's any number of signs I, I could put up, uh, as the only Jews in the neighborhood, there's a mezuzah mm-hmm. on our front door. So that's, there's a sign. Yeah. Um, uh, and then there was gay pride month. Um, yeah. I went with a sign that is, uh, I, th- I think, very um, classy. <laughs> it's very classy. Yep. And it simply says, literally anyone else, 2020. Yes. Yes. Right? That I, I felt that I want, we felt we wanted to make a statement that my personality is such that I sort of have some whimsy to me. And yeah. so... It feel every time I see that sign, it makes me feel really good that I put that sign in the window, and yeah. it's uniquely and authentically us. So, yeah. um, so we just have a couple of minutes, um, and I want to um, I want to go back to this notion about living in a nonprofit space. We talked about pleaser executive directors and how difficult it is for pleasers to have difficult conversations. Mm. Um, I find that, and having been in uh, run a nonprofit for a long time, that passion and emotion is part of the DNA of a nonprofit. Just is right. If it doesn't have that, then you probably shouldn't, you should go work somewhere else. Yeah. And, um, any advice for people who are listening about how to have difficult conversations, knowing how much personal and emotional skin people have in the game, how badly they need this work to be successful. And that that actually is, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, you don't, I often say sometimes in the, in the heat of passion, you don't always make the best judgment calls and that nonprofits are the heat of passion in a lot of different ways. Any advice for, as, and I'm, I'm probably going to lead us out and have that be our last question. Is mm-hmm. Any advice for a nonprofit leader about how to navigate difficult conversations in a place that's just a, sort of a hotbed of emotion? Yeah. Well, maybe it's partly making a distinction between sharing and um, sharing emotion and being emotional. Mm. Because I think that we often don't make a distinction between them. So being emotional, um, passionate speeches, but also anger, frustration, lashing out, et cetera, blame, right? Is translating emotion, a sense of anxiety, urgency, frustration, et cetera, into accusations, judgments, et cetera. And that is rarely helpful. Mm-hmm. But if people's emotions are at the heart of what's going on, just naming them can be helpful. Yeah. So I think we're going in, in circles. I can imagine people are feeling frustrated. Several people I suspect are feeling unheard. Um, let's talk about how do we change that? 
right? You've got a heated board meeting going on, name it rather than reciprocating it, which might be, which might escalate the conversation. Simply naming it, actually, there's a lot of research suggesting that naming feeling can actually reactivate the prefrontal cortex to re-engage us, to have us notice what's happening and make a different choice about how to proceed in the conversation. That can make a big difference. That's very, very helpful. Um, So I want to tell you that this is not a new book, Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most by Sheila Heen. But there, um, she and her co-author Doug Stone, um, uh, did and Bruce do it. Patton, and Bruce by the way, Patton. I'm sorry, yep. Bruce yep. Patton, yep. who yep. also wrote Getting to Yes. Yep. For those uh, who are familiar uh, with it, yeah. Uh, Bruce wrote Getting to Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was updated. So there, I, I, every one of you mm-hmm. is saying, "Oh my God, I have a question. I have a question." Yes. She, wait, Joan, ask Sheila this. Well, I don't have time. <laughs> Uh, bad news conversation. Sorry, sorry, sorry a little bad news conversation. Um, but there are. This was updated with the answers to the ten most frequently asked questions about difficult conversations. Um, I had my team read this book. I have done workshops where I have at nonprofit conferences where I've used it. Um, my business manager Marge said when she read it, "I wish I could get my husband to read this." <laughs> <laughs> and then she quickly said, I have a very good marriage, but it would be even better if you read this oh, book. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes. I, and and by the way, our publisher said to us, I don't think this is really going to be a gift book you know, <laughs> because people will have a bad reaction. But in fact, it oh has gosh. become a huge gift book. Like, hey, I think this could help us. Or, hey, I know you're in a tough situation. This mm-hmm. might be helpful. Yes. Um, so. and that's been really cool. So I actually got Marge and her husband a gift certificate to a local restaurant and a bottle of uh, bourbon, but maybe I should have gotten, um, <laughs> maybe I should have gotten Chris's book. Anyway. The bottle of bourbon might go with the book. Yeah, could, could be. <laughs> could be. Anyway, we are out of time. Um, uh, I think I teased to the fact that we have a second conversation with Sheila Heen coming up. And so you're going to want to be on the lookout for that. We're going to talk about her other book, um, which is called Thanks for the Feedback. Um, and it has a very, very almost counterintuitive kind of premise. So I'll just leave you with that. Um, uh, until we, uh, until we meet again or till you listen again, uh, this is Joan Gary and I have, um, enjoyed sharing Sheila's insights with us. Sheila, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And, uh, as always, we are so very, very grateful for the role you play in our world. Um, there are a lot of difficult conversations to be had, but my favorite conversations to have are with folks like you who work to change the world in ways large and small every day. So we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope you found the conversation to be valuable. If you enjoyed the podcast, remember to subscribe to it. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave us a review. Turns out that reviews really matter. They help people discover the podcast. And if there's anything in this episode or any episode that really struck you as an aha moment, we'd love to know. Shoot us an email at podcast at joangary.com. And if you'd like to learn more about nonprofit leadership, head on over to my website at joangary.com. That's J-O-A-N-G-A-R-R-Y.com. It's full of advice and resources that you can put into action right away. And make sure to enter your email address so I can send you a surprise I think you'll find helpful. And if I haven't said it lately, thank you. 
Thank you so much for the important work you do every day to make this world a better place. I'll see you next time.